Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. We are continuing on. This is our longest series that we've done, and I'm not sure exactly how long it's going to go. We may do another couple, or this may be the last one. I'm still kind of on the fence, but this uh, this continues our series on editing. And with me, I have someone who has done a ton of editing, both in weddings and in features and in feature documentaries, as well as a number of short films that he's been a part of producing and directing and writing and all that kind of stuff. But uh, he works full-time as an editor, but he also has a full-time side gig shooting his own weddings and doing a beautiful job uh, shooting and editing those. Uh, With me today, I have Brandon Rice. Thanks for coming on, Brandon. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So give me a... A little bit of picture. I, I, I kind of threw out a lot there for our listeners in terms of what you've been a part of. You know, we are focusing particularly on the editing. I know you've done a number of other pieces. You've done some writing. You've done some directing and producing. Uh, but, you know, we are kind of laser focused in on editing for this series. So talk to me about some of the work that you've done in editing, because I think it gives you a pretty different perspective from probably most of our listeners who are, I think, in large part, editing, wedding, and corporate. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your background in editing. Yeah, I mean, I actually didn't start out editing wedding films or really like commercials at all. Um, I started out editing short films that my friends and I would write, produce, direct, pretty much everything. Um, so it was very different. It was takes, it was coverage, it was... Um, you know, the scene progression, it was much different than even a documentary uh, style type of edit. So it was more narrative, um, which is kind of how I try to approach wedding filmmaking now is from that perspective. Mm. Um, You know, and the great thing about it was, is I did a lot of trailer editing too, as well with the short films. So that is very similar to what we do with like the short films for wedding films. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, how tell me like, tell me a few things that you've edited that we you know maybe we'll be able to watch. Okay, well, I have edited a couple uh, feature films. One, I created or directed, co-directed with a friend of mine in two thousand six. I think it was okay two thousand six or two thousand five, something like that. Called Smuggler's Ransom. It is a very low budget Christian yeah. action film. And it was something we put together. We shot it in like five days, which is nuts. And put that together. We actually got it sold to a legit distributor. And um, it is, I don't know if it's available on DVD still on Amazon. Um, But I think at some point we're going to get it to be able to be streaming. Um, But that was a fun one. That was actually the first kind of long form project I edited. Um, it was about 50 minutes long. I think it was so technically not a feature, but it was kind of feature was 45 minutes and above. Is that right? Yeah, maybe it's kind of like in that, you know, middle ground category of not being quite an hour. And then shortly after that, I had the chance to edit a 
feature called No Greater Love, which was a Christian romantic drama. I also worked on the story of that film, and Ooh. I shot a uh, second camera. That one was released by Lionsgate. I think that's on DVD, on Amazon. I don't think it's on Netflix, but um, if you look up No Greater Love, you'll be able to find it on IMDb okay. or whatever. So not everyone's cup of tea. It's faith-based and kind of cheesy romance stuff, but yeah. you know, it was a fun it was a fun film to edit and I actually learned some stuff with that because when I was editing that, I just come off of editing some action stuff like with the the action movie that we did and then a couple other short films. So I was in this really fast-paced mode like with my editing right. and I had to really slow it down because I needed to let the especially the performances which in that film were really good considering the budget especially I needed to let the scenes breathe and I needed to let the emotions kind of come out and not rush things you know like sometimes it was okay to cut back to a reaction for a couple seconds and then go to the next line even though maybe in the way that the actors performed it there was no pause there you can kind of add mm -hmm. that which it's something it's harder to do with wedding films because it's so montage style. Um, right. But there's still moments where you can do that. Um, like you can, I've increased moments of the kiss happening, you know, in a wedding mm. film, like because I want it to sure. be more dramatic or epic or whatever. So you cut different angles to kind of make it seem like the kiss lasted longer or shorter in some cases, you know, <laughs> if they yeah. hold it for an hour because the photographer's <laughs> taking a picture. Um, so you can kind of, change up the scene a little bit when it comes to right. wedding filmmaking as well. Um, but in feature films and like short films narrative, you can do that to another level for sure. Sure. Which yeah. actually I think makes wedding filmmaking almost harder and wedding film, film like editing harder because you can't, you don't have those takes. You don't have those extra right. angles and coverage. So going from, like short films and feature films to wedding films was actually really challenging for me. And I had sure. shared earlier with you even that like the first one that I second shot was just a train wreck. And then even the first one that I edited, cause I was shooting before shooting weddings before I was editing them. And the first one I edited for somebody else, it was just terrible. Like I hardly used any audio. Like I did not know what I was doing. Sure, um, yeah. I just was getting the feel for it because it is so different. And I was very experienced when it came to short films and features and even at that point, some promo videos and stuff. But the wedding videos were just are just totally different. They're really a different beast. Um, right. And I think that because they are so different, too, like um, and I know for me, especially now that I've been editing weddings for a while, I get into um, kind of like, I don't know, like habits of the way I do things. So I think they're, mm. they're, it's dangerous if you just do those, which I'm grateful I have another job that I can edit other types of work so I can mm. kind of get out of the wedding editing mode for a bit. Because um, my other job, it's primarily like social media type videos, like promo videos and stuff. Very, sure. Still message driven, but very different from a wedding film. So I think having other avenues, even if it's not necessarily another editing job, but just do, <coughs> excuse me, just doing other projects that um, allow you to sort of stretch your creativity in a different way is really mm. important because you can totally get into a rut with wedding films. I mean, even yeah. if you're the most like experienced, have been doing it for 10 years. In fact, sometimes you're actually more 
likely to get in a rut if you've been doing it longer. Mm. <laughs> so sure. you need yeah. to get out. You need to do like I was just talking to a buddy of mine the other day that I would like to do another short film just because I haven't done one in a few years. And I like to just kind of stretch my legs a little bit differently. Um, yeah, because I think it's really important to get outside of the same thing all the time and do something different. So that actually brings me to another point. Um, one of the things I found one most helpful when it comes to editing wedding films is the teaser trailers. I just started doing them last year and now for like 2018 and beyond, they're just going to be included with all my packages because they actually give me like a small feel for the wedding and the feel of the wedding before I ever get into doing their you know longer creative edit, whether that's a short film that's four to six minutes long or a longer mm. 10 to 12 minute long film. So it gives me a feel for the wedding. And typically, even if I add audio, I can get those knocked out in like an hour and a half at most. Um, yeah. You know, because you're just looking for a couple of good shots. But at the same time, you're kind of skimming through all your footage. So you're kind of getting a feel for the day. You're, you're getting some music in there, which kind of, for me, the music that I use in the teaser sort of like directs the music that I'm going to use for like the short film or the feature film. So it's really helpful for me to just get in that creative groove, especially if I have another wedding in front of theirs. So I don't forget the feel. So I usually edit the teaser immediately after I shoot the wedding because I don't want to like lose the feel. And because I'm the only person who shoots and edits it help. I mean, you know, I'm there the day of, it's not like I've got teams that are, you know, shooting and I'm editing their stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what I have here, you know, to work with, or I don't know what the bride and groom were like. Cause it's really hard to like look at just footage and really get to know somebody when you're not there. Like their personality can only be captured so much with just the footage you have. I mean, right. you kind of have to infuse that. And I've noticed that like the more I do this, like you have to infuse personality into your films a little bit because mm. There's only so much you actually capture when you're shooting. Um, we try to capture a lot. And even if you have two, three, four shooters, you're not going to capture everything. <laughs> you're just, sure. it's just not possible. Um, so I don't know. I, I think the teasers are really helpful. I would tell everybody to do the teasers, especially when they're first kind of like getting a feel for editing. Um, and I actually learned more about my style when I started doing the teasers in terms of like mm. the flow, the pace and things like that than I ever did before I started doing those. So I think they're really important. And also for marketing, they're fantastic. And I know we totally yeah. rabbit trailed. I don't even know what the original question was, but this is how my brain operates. Sometimes I, I just go like crazy directions and, you know, non-linear very much so. <laughs> so yeah well you know that's the way a lot of the films are out there so that's perfect yeah that's true yeah no i've i've done a few of those teasers recently and I, I enjoy them as well i'm i'm doing something a little bit different than i think most people are doing with their teasers i'm curious because i'm not sure if i've seen your teasers or not um but you know i'm, I'm limiting to them to 60 seconds one because mm -hmm. i want to have them for instagram instagram yeah uh but I'm I'm doing like a scene. I see a lot of people that are like, uh, you know, they're putting together sixty seconds worth from like the whole day. Right. But I'm I'm rather like going with a particular scene. That's like cool. I did one recently where we had done uh, 
we'd done a shoot where they went hiking and they one of the the, the groom like jumped off this cliff into this water and they oh, had a picnic yeah, I saw and all that stuff. One. I saw you post that one, yeah. 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 So like that was one. I did another one that was just the first look. Um and they actually read their they did like traditional vows of the ceremony, but they read personal vows to each other at the first look. That's awesome. And so that was the scene. It's just 60 seconds of the first look. Right. Um, and I thought when I first started doing that, that like, okay, this will be a scene in the final like short film edit. But I've ended up like tweaking that because I'm like, oh, well, in the context of this whole thing, it doesn't quite work the same way. Yeah. Of course, I also use some of that audio and that right. kind of thing. But I completely change it up. <laughs> like for you, like how does that work for you in the teasers? Are you um, are you doing something like that, or tell me what your teasers are like? Every teaser is a little bit different, and it really depends on the wedding. Like there's some teasers where it's just a couple beauty shots of the couple with maybe some time lapses, just for you know that eye candy, um, and it just varies. Like I, I don't do necessarily scenes, even though I think I may have done one or two of those like last year where it was kind of like more self-contained um, or it was like maybe the prep and then like the first look and then that was the end of it. But I do do one thing for my teasers or don't rather do one thing and that's give away all the good shots. I hmm. see a lot of people that do teasers and all their great shots are in the teaser and then you go yeah. watch their film and all the best shots were in the teaser and i'm like that's not i feel that way about a lot of comedies yeah like exactly the, yeah all, all the funny lines all the are funny the, parts in the trailer, are in the trailer yeah. and then you go yeah. watch it and you're like well that i already know the punchline to that joke because i already saw it and it's not funny anymore and the rest of the movie has no jokes you know and or you give away the entire plot line of the movie in or you use your best audio in your teaser i don't ever use like i'll use like snippets of some of the good audio but i'll never use like the best 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 parts um, right. because I don't want to give it all away, you know, cause it's a teaser right. for a reason. It's not the final film, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So that's, that's one of the things that I like really stick to is being careful about giving too much away. And sometimes like it was a great dance party. So like I'll do a couple of prep shots, one beauty shot with the bride and groom, and then a bunch of dancing footage and I'll never even show the ceremony. Like sometimes yeah. I'll do that, you know, like, it just changes. Sometimes I'll show the ceremony because they have a great look at each other. Um, but again, I don't want to give like everything away either. So if I shoot like use the ceremony, I won't use like a beauty shot of the couple necessarily, or I'll just use one of like seven or eight that I have that I really like. Um, right. So I don't know. I just they're fun to do. They're really easy to get out there, and like they can. I've noticed that the teaser trailers especially get fairly high views i would say probably 25 percent to 50 percent more views than the short films do because people even though the short films are short people still right. would rather just watch a minute long thing which is crazy sure. but it's true I and mean, it's the culture it's the time we live in you know people sure. want to watch fast videos i mean even for my other job the social medias i make the social media videos i make they typically want them to be under a minute long because they just right. want to get the message out quick and people won't sit there, you know, for sometimes more than 30 seconds. Right. Well, it's different if, you know, you're probably going to get more audience on the short ones because they don't have to know the couple at all. Whereas mm -hmm. in order to watch like a full highlight, even you either have to know the couple for the most part or 
maybe be planning a wedding right. or kind of be in that season of, you know, new love and relationship or whatever the case is, or, or maybe just be a female. Um, <laughs> true. Uh, well, even then, but, I don't know how many people just go watch wedding videos just for the heck of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do know, like, I mean, I've heard people, I've heard, uh, you know, young women say that, that they like, that's their hobby. Like I had, I had this one friend that was a photographer and when I would have a photo gig, um, she would second shoot with me and she was like, oh yeah, I, you know, I watch wedding films. Like I'll, I'll go on a Friday night and I'll just sit down and watch a bunch of wedding films, you know? Uh, she was like, yeah, I'll just, I'll I'll just sit there and watch pin weddings. So just watch, just go and watch Sarah and Rick's videos for, well, those are really good. So, I mean, I don't blame her for that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Uh, so you have having this, like this different background, uh, that, that I don't have that most of our guests don't have. We've had guests who've come from broadcast, who've come from, uh, you know, a, a bunch of other different, uh, different environments. But I think you're, you're probably the first guest that we've had that comes from a background in features. Uh, we did have a couple of documentary mm-hmm. um, feature people on the show. Um, but talk to me about um, what that has taught you in terms of even just basic theory behind how you edit. Um, and, and how that's influenced how you're telling your stories through the through the editing suite. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, one of the things that I and I don't want to get too like artsy fartsy or anything because you know we can get too far in that direction. But I think the language of like the shot is really important in terms of like where things are and where people are. But also like when it comes to editing, I think um, moving into a scene always kind of evokes more intimacy and even like while I'm solo shooting I'm trying to create scenes within my films like uh, there was a film that I recently did where I kind of slid from a door to show the bride getting her hair done and she had like a, a cup of something in her hand and I then went and shot close-ups of that so like in a film, you would probably shoot a wide kind of master shot and then you right. would kind of move in for coverage and then you might do one specialty shot, you know, like that would be a typical type of a scene. Now, there would be some scenes where you would try to do it all in one shot, you know, like you kind of like break it up a little bit. But for a typical scene, you would do a master and then close ups and then maybe a two shot of the two people talking if it was a dialogue scene or whatever yeah. it is. Um, so I try to kind of like do that within the wedding as much as I can. Obviously with a wedding, so much is going on that it's challenging sometimes to do that. But I do, I try to, I try to do a wide shot kind of establishing where we are. Cause so often you see wedding films where it's all close-ups and like, you're not, you don't even know like where they are or like what the room looks like. And now sometimes you don't want to know what the room looks like, but even so like, you can still do kind of a medium wide shot that kind of shows more of where they're at, you know, a relationship with people, especially if you're showing other people that are looking at them or whatever you want to see relationship, you know? And so a lot of times that is really big when it comes to narrative filmmaking, because if you all of a sudden have close-ups of people talking to each other, it can look like they're not even looking at each other if you're not mm. shooting it right, you know, if their eye lines are wrong right. or whatever. So if you establish the relationship early on, 
the audience immediately picks up on, okay, they're looking at each other, talking to each other, you know, or whatever it might be. So I think that when it comes to my editing for a wedding film, I'm kind of trying to do the same thing. And I'm trying to um, tell each part of their day within scene. So whether it's like the first look, like a wide shot of the bride walking, maybe a close up of his hands as he's waiting. And then a close, you know, if I can do it, a close up of her hand tapping him and then, you Mm. know, a medium shot of them looking or whatever. So just kind of trying to like, and I know that even for some of the people listening to this, they'll be like, not even necessarily knowing the proper terminology of even shots because they may not have had like formal education, which I didn't either. I just read a lot of books. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, th- those things are really helpful um, when it comes to your edit, especially because I shoot solo. So, like, mm. I think a lot of your edit has to be when you're shooting. So I started from a writing background, then I went moved to an editing background, then to a shooting background. So I kind okay. of, like, went in reverse in a way. But that's been super helpful because – now, every time I'm shooting, I'm thinking how it's going to cut together, like whether that's on a short film or a wedding film or whatever it is, because a lot of times you can kind of make it work. <laughs> but if you're not really intentional about what you're shooting, it just won't cut well together, you know. Hmm. So, you know, even when you're covering like the ceremony, for instance, being a solo shooter, it's really hard for me to do shots where they're over the shoulder of each person as they're doing their vows. So instead right. I do a two shot you know two shot close-up and then i do a wide shot and so i'm able to man all the cameras and you know they never have a chance of going down for some reason or another and or going out of focus or you know because people move around during a ceremony or getting blocked or whatever so that's how i kind of choose to shoot it that way um and so that's i don't know there's just things like that that you have to like think about ahead of time also like when you uh are overlapping dialogue um that's another big one, like to smooth out an edit to somebody talking. Like I always make sure the B roll is covering the first part of them talking, and then I try to cut to them as they're mid talk. So like there's some smooth transition points there. Also, cutting on motion is huge. Like especially if you're cutting between like a wide shot of a groom putting on a jacket to a close up. Like you want to cut on the motion so it looks like the same shot because it's obviously not. Mm. Um, just very. Like, those are pretty basic, like, editing techniques that I learned, like, early on when I was doing short films. Cutting on motion, things like that, just to make edits smoother. Because you're doing different takes, so it's always right. going to be different every time. Especially if you right. have actors that are very much about, like, spontane- spontaneous actors, you know, which I've worked with a lot of them. <laughs> so, they're going to do the scene yeah. a little different every time. Or even say right. their lines differently. So, uh, cutting on motion, um, cutting to reactions when you need to, you know, things like that. Um I don't know. I, I don't. I don't even know if I answered your original question. I think I did. <laughs> yeah. No. But definitely. I mean, the original question was just like, so. what are you learning from? Yeah. You know, what have what have you learned from those uh, those features that you've shot? So yeah, yeah there's yeah, there's so much. I mean, we could sit here probably for three hours going over editing theory and things like that. Another thing too is don't if there's a great reaction that you have. Even though, even if it's not the best shot, sometimes use it because, yeah, you know, sure. one of the things that I learned in this book called In the Blink of an Eye, I think it was Walter Murch that read it. Um, mm-hmm. he, uh, he's a great editor. And one of the things that he said was the number one thing is always the performance. So, like, even though the technical side of that shot might be off, 
even if right. in a film, if the performance is mind blowing, you have to go with the performance. And yeah. I mean, you'll see that in, in Hollywood movies where the shot is totally out of focus even. And yep. the performance is amazing. So they just go with it, you know? Yeah, no, I've, I've had to do the same thing where I'm like, Oh man, I missed the focus on yep. that. Like it's, it's off by, you know, six inches or something. It's totally noticeable to yeah. me, but I'm like, but his reaction was exactly. Yeah. There was it. a film I was just yeah. editing recently where I had didn't turn the macro mode off on my 100 millimeter lens because I'm an idiot and uh, I just totally forgot about it. And I had accidentally focused behind him to a plant that was right behind him. So he was not like totally out of focus, but soft enough that it was noticeable. So I added sharpness, but I'm like, his reaction was priceless. So I have to go yeah. with it. I mean, you know, like, and they didn't care. Like the couple, more often than not, even other filmmakers aren't going to see all those technical flaws or they might see them, but they're going to be so, if you did your job right, they're going to be so in the moment and they're going to enjoy the film so much that they're going to be like, whatever, who cares about that shot that was out of focus? Like it was a great moment. And that's the same thing with any kind of film. Like I've gone into films where they might have tons of technical flaws, but the storyline and the acting is so good that I just don't even care, you know? Because those are the two things that are really going to carry the day. So, Content is king, as they say. I wanted to take a quick break here in the middle of the show to tell you about a new way that I'm saving thousands of dollars a year on music licensing. First of all, if you're new to making wedding films, you should know that you can't just pay 99 cents to iTunes and use that in your videos online. It's against the law and you could face a heavy fine or even jail time. Yikes! So, until now, you've had to pay somewhere between $10 to $50 per song on average to get good music for your wedding films legally. And then, if you want to use that same song in a different video, you have to pony up the cash again. For some of you, this means paying well north of $5,000 a year in music licensing fees. So, what if you could get unlimited amazing licensed music for your wedding films for only $135 a year. This is amazing. I used to spend that much just on one video. If you want to learn more, go to soundstripe.com or click the link on our website. And now, Soundstripe is offering 10% off to our listeners with the code WFA10. So again, go to soundstripe.com and use WFA10 to get 10% off of your full year of fantastic licensed music for your videos today. Not only that, but when you use code WFA10 at checkout, your purchase helps support the Wedding Film Academy to keep bringing you amazing free content to help you make better wedding films and run a more successful business. And I think a lot of times it's the perfect that's the enemy of, you know, of of getting it done right, you know, it's like, because I tell, you know, I have, I have this volume brand and so we're training up shooters all the time. And one mistake that I see them make a lot is, you know, that'll be like the shot of the ceremony and it's not perfectly composed the way mm-hmm. that they want it. And they'll shift it during a moment, oh. you know, like there's a moment mm-hmm. happening. Maybe he's, you know, saying the vows or he's reacting to her saying the vows or vice versa or whatever. Um, but they'll be like, oh, you know, I really should have it composed this way. And so they move the camera. I'm like, ah, oh, right. don't do that. Don't move the camera. Just leave it. You know, I know it's not the best shot in the world, but it's the shot. And and by moving the camera, now we can't move that, use that shot anymore because right. it's super shaky. And that moment shaky, was so know? important to get. Um, That's so, the thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's it's much better like yeah, just to exactly. to get it in that in that time. But I think it comes down to that in the editing room as well as making those decisions of, you know, okay, I didn't execute as good as I would have hoped to in this moment. You know, I wish I had killed it because, you know, th- there was this moment that happened, but I still got the moment and I got to use it anyways because for them, well, for them and for the couple. You know, somebody mentioned this on one of the forums earlier today is that there's this temptation if you're connected into, you know, the the global community, there's this this temptation to create mm-hmm. films for our peers. And it's not our peers who hired us and it's not our peers who are going to, you know, potentially even watch the film, much less Right, who are going to live with right. it for their entire lives, and so we're creating films for our clients, and ultimately, it's those moments, whether they're perfect or not, that they're going to love. Exactly, and so I think I think for so many people, that's like this barrier to get past is, oh, if my peers saw this, they would look down on me because the shot was out of focus or it was not composed perfectly or you know, the, you know, I couldn't get the white balance right in post because right. I screwed it up, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, but ultimately it comes down to, Hey, that was a special moment for that couple. Yeah, so totally. give it to them. Yeah, and that's been, that was your like, job. There's you been know? a few times where like the speeches, the angle of the speeches I haven't liked, you know, for one reason or another, because they didn't sit and stand in my light or they were just walking around or I just didn't get a good shot of them, you know? Right. But at the same time, it's such good content and you got to see who's, you got to establish who's saying it. So you have to use it. You know what I mean? And it does, it comes down to the couple. Like, are they going to care that it's like the most perfect, you know, it's never perfect, but you know, perfect in our minds shot or it's like exactly how we envisioned it. That's another thing too, is expectations. Like, I notice that like the more that I do this, the more I try to have less expectations going into a wedding, especially as I'm shooting it. And even when I'm editing it, like I've learned that the ones that I'm like, oh man, that, like I wasn't really happy with it. And then it ends up being great, you know, because you just work it and you work it. And sometimes mm-hmm. you work harder on the ones you don't think are going to be good because, you know, you have less to work with and then they end up being better films. I've noticed that too. Like when I have a lot of stuff mm. to work with, sometimes I kind of phone it in and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just go to a beauty shot a couple. Sure. You know, like for, for half the film or whatever. And it's just not as good, you know, or as compelling or have as much good content or varied content. Um, so I've noticed that the ones that I think are going to be like the worst films I've done end up being good because I worked harder on them, you know? So I would say that too. Don't have expectations mm. going to ex- every single edit totally open-minded um have fun with it don't feel like you have to oh another thing do not feel like you have to show every reception detail because like when i first started editing i was like i have to show everything every single thing and you know i spent 30 seconds on reception details and like nobody wants to watch 30 seconds of reception details like they're wanting to see their family their friends themselves (laughs) like you know it's about them (laughs) i think yeah, I think because our industry has been so influenced by wedding photographers, in a lot of in a yeah. lot of ways, that's a, been a good thing. But then there's those those things like that. Like, 
I've watched some folks' videos where the first two <laughs> minutes of the film, maybe a five-minute film in the first two minutes, I didn't even right. get introduced to the couple yet because it was all this B-roll footage. And, you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not, whatever. It doesn't matter because I I only kept watching the film because I was like, <laughs> are they ever going to introduce me to the couple? Like, I was just like, that was in my mind. I was just thinking, like, is this even a wedding video that I'm watching? You know, um, because, yeah, it, it, it has become influenced in that way, I think, sometimes to a fault. Because while we're there, yes, to capture, you know, the environment and some of those sort of things are can be important. I, I've tried to start focusing less mm-hmm. and less on those things. You know, I have, a lot of times I'll have a photographer that's going to be like, oh, hey, I'm going to come shoot this this thing. You want to come with me? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, eh, yeah, no. You know, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to shoot the... Uh, like I got this scene set up. I'm gonna shoot the, uh, you know, the little, what do you call it? The programs that they put out right. and some invitations yeah. and stuff. I'm like, you know, yeah. no. In that's fact, I had one bride video, you know? who I'm shooting her wedding in September, and she actually told me specifically. She's like, I don't even care if you shoot any shots of the details. I just want to see people. And I'm like, sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I don't care about the yeah. tables. I, don't, I mean, I'm still gonna shoot some of that stuff, obviously. But, you know, her point was... Yeah, sometimes it's just helpful to transition yeah, exactly. from one yeah, thing to the next. transition but. shots or, like, just, again, like, establishing the scene shots, you know, and everything. But, yeah, like... Yeah. It was sure. just kind of refreshing to hear from her to say, I don't want that, and that's part of the reason I hired you was because, like, you focused on the people, you know? So I think when you're editing, especially, you can make right. those decisions. Like, you don't have to... You can shoot those shots when you're on set you know i called on set but you know at the wedding um but you can totally make different decisions in the edit another thing that has become kind of commonplace now and um i know even some of the guests you've had on do some funkier editing like you know double exposure and things like that and i've tried to do some of that but it just doesn't i don't know it just doesn't feel right to me uh just because i feel like what I want to do is deliver them a film that like in 10 years they're going to watch it and they're not going to be like, what is that? Cause like you watch back some music videos from like even the early two thousands yeah. and they have some funky stuff going on and they just don't stand the test of time. And right. I'm like, I don't know if I want my films to not stand the test of time, even in the edit. Um, so I've kind yeah, of chosen to absolutely. stay away from some of that stuff. Like I might do something here and there, but you know, I'll do some time lapses and stuff, which are kind of in right now too but um i kind of stay away from like the crazy editing and the other thing too is is like find your style because some people are really good at like the fast paced editing there's a there's a couple guys in town who do some really good work in nashville that do fast paced very high energy edits and i kind of am jealous of them sometimes because like i love it just because it's so different from what i do uh but I just, that's just not me. So when I do it, it feels kind of forced a little bit. So, and maybe that comes from that one feature that I told you about earlier that I, you know, had to slow it down. But I feel like for me, that slow intentional pacing is, and I know I get some, some uh, heat about it from some, you know, colleagues on the forums or whatever, but I don't know, for some reason, I feel like that slow intentional pacing really works. It lets people like enjoy the moments um and like i don't want to see like five shots in like one second because i'm not going to catch 
anything probably and maybe i'm slow but that's just me like i'm just not gonna catch it it looks really cool but i'm just not gonna see it you know so yeah i'm with you no i've I've looked at some of the stuff too and thought man that's really cool uh but yeah at the same time it's not me the only time i've i have done something like that only during like a dance scene you know like it was it was a you know a bunch of random shots of guests dancing but there was a there was a part in the song and it was like pow 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 you know and so it was just like right, you know right. just edit to those beats but for the yeah, most part so yeah, yeah during I the reception and stuff like I, stuff I, I well. sometimes speed it up a little bit too but I can't get into that for like the stuff with the couple or like with the mom and the bride getting ready like I want to really like slow those moments down and that's why I shoot a lot of slow mo especially for those moments like I don't care about shooting slow mo for her getting her hair done or her makeup done necessarily but like like I just was editing tonight and there's a shot where the bride's done getting her dress on. She turns and it's very natural. It wasn't like planned. She turns to look at her mom and they both smile at each other. And if I had shot that in just regular speed, I could have like held on that moment for that time, you know, like, so I really do like shooting the stuff with the parents, you know, in, in slow-mo. Um, I like shooting the interaction between the bride and groom in slow-mo. And now we're getting into like shooting, which is not even what we're supposed to be talking no, about. No, but I think I think that's good though because it does, absolutely, because it, it does give you that flexibility when you're editing. And yeah. I've, I use very little slow-mo in my films, but like for example, with my volume brand, we use a lot of slow-mo. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the reason for it is, is like I tell my shooters, shoot everything other than like the ceremony and the toast, shoot it all in 60. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the reason I tell them that is just because it gives my editor a lot of flexibility. And like right. if they screwed something up when they shot it, then we can probably still use it because they it's shot it in 60. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, like, you know, I had one shooter and he was uh, relatively new with the gimbal. Uh, mm-hmm. And so... He just shot everything like way too fast, you know. I think I think that's one mistake that a lot of uh, people who are new in the industry make is that they shoot things way too fast. Yeah. Whether it's they're on the gimbal or they're on the slider or they're making pans or whatever it is, their movement is way faster than it should be. Thankfully, if I tell them to shoot it in 60p, we can salvage some of those shots for the two to three second clips that we need. Yeah. And so we have a different philosophy on shooting, but it comes down to the fact that that gives us that flexibility for our less experienced shooters uh, when it comes to the edit. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's the other thing, too. Like when I shoot, I shoot mostly solo. So I don't necessarily have another angle of coverage on that moment. So the angle I have is the angle I have. Like, <laughs> unless I have a stationary camera, um, which I do in some cases, um, I want, if I want to be able to hold on that moment, the only way to do it is slow-mo. And so, you know, I just don't have any other option. Um, plus, I mean, I've now developed it into where it is a style that I'm using and, and that's, and the people that are hiring me like that style. Um, and so that's kind of, I'm kind of going with that. Um, Getting back to like the editing and just the theory and stuff, as far as like how I start an edit, a lot of it has to do with music. Right. Um, a lot of people who have been on have talked about like finding their sound bites first and things like that. But for me, 
I get very inspired mm. by music. This actually goes back to before I ever worked on wedding films. I would always start listening to music, even as I was writing scripts, like for scripts that I wrote, directed, and edited, which there were a few for like short films, I would be listening to music that would get me kind of in the feel and the like tone of whatever the piece was. And then I would write it and then I would direct, you know, the film and still having that music is like basically something I'm playing all the time. Um, Kind of like a soundtrack of my life at that moment. So I can really get like kind of like a method direct, Mm. you know? Um, And then I would method edit and I would put that music as like a temp track because I would never use it for the final because I'd have somebody score something. But I put that as a temp track for the the uh, film, and I would edit and paste my edit kind of to that yeah. music. So that's very big for me. I don't necessarily edit to the beat all the time, but I edit in the feel that that music mm. gives me. It's really like weird and spiritual and emotional sure. and all those things, but I very much am a method mm. editor. And actually, I got teased by a director once, the guy who directed the feature that I edited, and he teased me about that. He's like, you're, yeah, I can tell you're a method editor because everything had temp track. Because a lot of editors don't mm-hmm. use temp track for you know, films or whatever, but I had to use temp track for every single moment of any film I've ever mm-hmm. edited. And that even goes mm-hmm. into commercials or whatever it is. Like, you know, And in this case, I don't use a temp track. I use whatever the music is I'm going to use, I go find it. Um, and I try to find that first. And I try to actually be listening to music that will fit even before the wedding mm. happens. And I do use similar music for almost every wedding. Cause it's just me. It's just who I am. I like the right. epicness. I like the, the, you know, music that has a lot of motion um, and emotion, emotion, and emotion, like where it has highs and lows and quiet moments and epic moments. And I love vocals not like vocals, lyrics, but like oohs and ahs, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, that sure. kind of thing. And uh, I just feel like it gives a lot of depth to, to music. And I'm I'm a music person. I love classical music. I love score music. I'm kind of a uh, movie score buff. And uh, so I really get into yeah. that kind of stuff. So that, for me, is the biggest start of an edit. And that's why doing the teaser also is helpful because sometimes I find the music I'm going to use for their short film while I'm getting yeah. the teaser done. Or just gives me the feel of the music I want to use. So that's really big for me. And then I kind of build from there and start finding the audio pieces. But even before I find the audio pieces, a lot of times I'll find the B-roll that I want to use. And I'll kind of just like throw it on the timeline. Like in no particular order, I'll just throw it on the timeline. And then I'll start building out the audio and then start kind of stacking. And I try to keep my timeline super clean. That's another thing, especially for first timers. Do not get messy timelines because they will drive you nuts. They will totally suck the creativity out of whatever mm. you're doing because you'll be looking for clips. You'll be like, where's that clip that's there? Or because some people end up with, you know, 20 timelines or whatever. And it's just like, where right. is anything? You know, and if you keep your timeline nice and clean and you can see everything, I mean, it's going to make your life so much easier and you know you're going to have a much better time editing and you're going to be able to take all that energy and put it towards creativity and not like organizing yeah yeah for sure so that's another quick tip uh you know something that i hadn't heard talked about before so yeah for sure no i think that's good uh i think actually dax talked about with the music like he'll choose the music even before the wedding like after he met the couple 
uh, you know, he'll he'll take what he knows about the couple and go ahead and choose the music before the wedding and let that sort of drive him. And I, and I feel the same like what whenever I I haven't done this usually usually I'll do something similar to you. I'll pull the I'll pull some of the B-roll down onto the timeline. And sometimes it feels kind of monotonous to me. It just feels like a chore. But when I throw music onto it, then I'm like, oh, yeah, now I can do this, you know. And yeah. It, yeah. at that point, like... The music kind of gives it It does. <laughs> it's like at that point, that's when I can start to really smile while I'm working on it. You yeah. Know? But up until that point totally. in time, yeah. it feels like it's a chore to me, you know, and that's just... Yeah. No, it is kind of monotonous. You're right. And actually, I kind of hope that at some point, Wi-Fi is fast enough so that I can, like you know, and it might be, but I just might not have the right thing where I can sit on my laptop watching TV and just be picking B-roll, you know, on my iMac yeah. <laughs> from my laptop and then go back and edit it. Cause yeah, the B-roll stuff is monotonous. I could be watching TV dude and it doesn't yeah. matter. Like it's not like you got to get in the mode or in the mood to find like the right. good shots. And once you're there and you're fine tuning, cause like I'm pretty generous and like, liberal with my b-roll and like the shots that i'm throwing down on the timeline like i'll throw down anything that i think looks good for the most part and get rid of it later you know get rid of the bad stuff and then i'll just go through and i'll just be like oh don't need that shot and even if i don't need it i'll actually put it towards the side Mm. of the timeline because i might end up needing it later so like as i'm building kind of and i kind of go chronologically like for the most part like i edit linearly um linearly is it linearly? i don't know but i do the same thing i'm with you yeah i know a lot of people are time hopping and time jumping all over the place a lot of our guests even are doing that but yeah for me yeah and i don't really do that i'll do that in very like small doses like the last wedding video that i released the one i shot in boston i started with them like dancing at night and then i went back but like I don't really do that a ton. And if I do it, it's like at the beginning and then that's it. Like I won't necessarily do it again because I get a little confused. There was actually this wedding I edited for somebody else a couple of years ago and it was actually a four day long Mm. Indian wedding. So there was a ton of footage and I was like, well, I'm going to get creative with this. And like the second or third day had the prettiest footage like of the whole time we were there. So I was like, well, I'm going to start with like the prettiest day first and kind of like just edit it out of order. And I sent it to the person I was editing it for. And she was like, this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Cause she wasn't there when we shot. It was somebody who had hired me and another guy to shoot it and to edit it. And so she was like, I don't even know what's going on. And I was like, yeah, let's change. (laughs) (laughs) So that I had to go back and edit edit linear. Um, So I've kind of stuck to that because here's the thing too. Like a lot of people who are watching this are going to like be guests of the bride and groom, but it's also going to be couples that might hire you and they're not going to be as familiar as you are with weddings because even though they're hiring somebody to film their wedding, they're not going to 25 weddings a year and shooting them or and editing them. They're going to maybe two or three a year, you know, and they're not going to see how the prep is because they've never done it before right. more than likely you know so you gotta kind of cater to them too and tell the story to them that's going to make sense because right. if you don't you know they're not they're going to be like what's going on like i don't understand right. you know and i even think like with some of these elopement films we're kind of getting on a total rabbit trail here but elopement films can be that way too where you're kind of like 
for 30 seconds to a minute, you're kind of like trying to get your bearings. Like what's happening right now. And I feel like you really need to like get the audience on board, like five to 10 seconds in. Mm. Like you really like, that's why I always make sure audio starts like within like the first three seconds Mm. of my film, because I want people to start hearing something too, because if they're just seeing like shots and just music, it's like, okay, you know, like, what am I looking at? Especially with the pace I have, which is a little right. bit more slow. It's not super fast. You know, the teasers are a little faster, so I don't mind as much about having the audio come in a little later. Sometimes I don't use audio at all. I'll just use music because it's, you know, pretty visually stimulating and moving along pretty quick. Um, thank you, Instagram, for limiting them to one minute, but at least it's better than 15 seconds. Yeah, like for sure. <laughs> so we'll take it. Anyway, that was like a total rabbit trail. I feel like this whole podcast is just massive rabbit trail. That happens on the show a lot, actually. So as you know, yeah. Yeah, that's part of it, right? We call it the Wedding Film Academy rabbit trail. <laughs> yep. So. Awesome. So we are... Uh, Closing in here on the hour, I'd love to hear. Uh, yes. I'd love to hear what your pick of the week is. My pick of the week. It's a weird okay. one. Um, this is a very. It actually has nothing to do with editing, so I hope that's okay. But it does have to do with wedding filmmaking. It is shoes. Yeah. Good shoes. Okay. I personally am a huge fan of Skechers. They are super <laughs> comfortable. They have memory foam in them, typically. You if you're a guy, you can get the black ones, and they blend pretty well yeah. in. Like Nobody's going to be like, hey, you're wearing sneakers to a wedding. I have Skechers Air that have air in them, too, and memory foam. I literally can be on my feet for 12 to 14 hours a day, Okay, and they feel great. Yeah. So good shoes, and make sure you get the right size. Most people in the United States wear shoes too small for them because they think they should fit super snug. Okay. So there's another fun fact. But they shouldn't. They should have a little give in them because if you are got shoes that are too small, they're going to constrict your foot and the blood flow, and it's going to be terrible. Now, are you sponsored by Skechers, Brandon? <laughs> I am not. <laughs> not even close. But every wedding I go to, I kid you not, every time I talk to a photographer or another vendor – about how much their feet are hurting. I'm like, mine aren't. And I point down at my shoes and I do a big old yeah. read for Skechers. <laughs> That's awesome. So, there you go. There's my nice. pick of the week. Very cool. Well, that's a good one because uh, a lot of people are. I was Somebody posted the other day. Who was it? I forgot who it was. Uh, somebody posted the other day that they did a 20-hour wedding. And I was just like Whoa. mind blown. Why, why in the world would they want you there for 20 hours? It's like I couldn't get around. That's like a whole day minus four hours. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what time did you get there? So yeah. like if you got there at 6 a.m., then you left at 2? That doesn't make any sense. But I hope I hope that they were wearing your sketchers with the memory foam. Or something <laughs> with memory foam anyway. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, my pick of the week is I just got, uh, I've just, I've been buying a bunch of gear lately. We're, um, we're, we're trying to make some big moves in my volume company, but I also bought some, a few things for myself, uh, because one of my buddies was, uh, he's kind of moving in a different direction with his life and career and stuff. And so he was selling some of his stuff at a crazy discount. So anyways, I bought 
the Leica 12 millimeter f 1.4 lens. Uh, this is the lens for, for Lumix uh, or micro four thirds cameras. And it is killer. That is a fast lens too, especially at that focal length. For sure. Yeah. Normally at like the 24 mil equivalent focal length, you don't get a lens that that's, that's that fast. Like F, right. F2 is about as fast as you get yep. Um, yep. in that in that uh, focal length. But yeah, F1.4. And I've been blown away at some of the images I've got from it. I haven't shot a wedding with it uh, yet. I've had a little bit of a break. I'm shooting next weekend, uh, but I've had a little bit of a break here. And the summer in Texas, uh, it starts to slow down like towards the uh, end of June and July and August or kind of yeah, our same way here for sure. Yeah. Cause it's just, yeah. it's miserably hot outside, it's hot. Yep. but well, hopefully uh, now when you get a new lens like that, do you implement it into what you do pretty quickly or do you kind of like slowly try to introduce it? Well, it depends. I mean, it just depends. Like, you know, if it's got, yeah. if it's, it's got the Leica name on it. So I trust it, you know, yeah, I mean, totally. If if Leica is putting if if Leica is actually I mean in this case they're actually designing the lens with Panasonic, they're part of the manufacturing process. Because right. uh, I talked to to Sean Robinson, who's there, um, he's like the marketing director for USA Lumix, and I talked to him about that. I was like, hey, is Leica just like, you know, y- y'all paying money to Leica to put the name on it or something? And they're like, no, oh, right, right. They're like they're basically designing it with us they're helping us produce it so they really so is like a like a partner company with panasonic or are they i'm not sure what the business like, how, relationship, relationship i'm not sure what the business side of the relationship is but they're not like as one who's not willing to compromise on their name right i mean if you buy an actual lens that Leica makes, like I think the cheapest one's like seven or eight thousand dollars, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And totally. you know, they're little mirrorless cameras that I think they've got one that shoots only in black and white. That's like ten thousand dollars. I mean, like seriously? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Well, you know the old Panasonic DVX one hundred that I have sitting on the shelf over there yeah. at a Leica lens. Yeah, you know. Well, you know. <laughs> so. But yeah. but yeah, like is not one to like rest on their name. They have right. to keep that that image up if they're going to sell a camera body that only shoots black and white for ten thousand dollars. Oh yeah, um, totally. Yeah. But yeah, so so in this case, you know, a lens like that, I'm going to trust yeah. right off the shelf is going right. to be amazing. But You'd I have probably be shooting on that thing all day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, so now I have uh, four of the Leica lenses. So I've got the 12, I've got the 1517, the 2514, and the 42512. Wow. Um, and yeah, you could pretty much almost shoot an entire day, except maybe like a couple close ups. Yeah, you I mean, could. it and depends even the 42 on. 42 is like an 85, so. Yeah, it just depends on, you know, what the setup for the ceremony is. Right. I'll probably, you know, in a lot of cases, I'll pull out the uh, Rokinon 85 or something. But for the most part, I'll be living on those Leica lenses, which is nice because it also keeps the color the same across the board. Right. You, know, you can change. Yeah, yeah, totally. You can change from one lens to the next, and the color can be vastly different from one lens to mm-hmm. the next. The Leica color is just gorgeous. Yeah, I remember back in the day when I used to mix lenses, like lens manufacturers all the time, and I got my footage back, and I'm like, wait, it's the same camera, same settings. Yep. Why do these things look different? 
And it's because the glass is so important. Yep, for sure. Like I was shooting before. I love that 85 mil equivalent focal length, you know, the 42 and a half on the Lumix. Yeah. And so I, I have a lot of lenses in that category. Like I started with the Olympus 4518. Okay. And then I bought this Voigtlander, uh, uh-huh. the 095. Uh, and then I also have the 42 and a half 17. And the forty-two and a half one two. So right now I have like four lenses in that category. Four lenses of the same focal length. Of the same focal length. But I I've given two of those lenses away now to my uh, my volume brand. The oh right the right. Olympus and the which we're actually going to sell that for that brand too because I just don't like it. Mm. Uh, but anyways, the color going from the Olympus to the Voigtlander was dramatic, and there was one scene that I shot with two different cameras was both the GH4, but it had those two different lenses on it. And oh my goodness, it was the, the difference was huge. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to do so much correction to get this to look like the Voigtlander that I want it to look like. It Um, looks like you're shooting on a totally different camera. It does. It's that big of a difference. It's crazy. I think that's, that's something that people, I think starting out in this, in this industry, maybe don't get, I know I didn't understand it for the longest time. (laughs) But yeah, having my main four go-to lenses, the 12, the 15, the 25, and the 42 and a half, all with the same color profile mm-hmm. that comes with Leica and that same sharpness and everything across the board is really valuable when it comes to the edit because oh, totally, your yeah. your color correction work is a lot less. Um, and, and same thing with the cameras. Like mm-hmm. I, I started out with one GH5 and then GH4s and it matched okay, but mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly the same. I mean, they redid the color science on the GH5 right. quite a bit. And so I now have three GH5s um, and only use a GH4. I sell two GH4s, but I'll just bust them out only for the ceremony. Yeah, I use my GH4 for like time lapses and like a wide ceremony shot, which the wider shot, like you can get away with a little bit more. Sure, yeah. It's such a different shot than the close-up, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but that's the same with me. Like for most of what I do, like my A camera and my gimbal camera are both GH5s cause I want them to match like as perfectly as possible, yep. you know? Um, yep. But I'm right there with you. Cool. Well, that's an awesome pick of the week. Yep. I am very jealous of that lens. It's, it it's sweet. I've been so. shocked at two things. One is how sharp it is. It's, I, bet. I mean, it's unbelievably sharp. I thought, you know, that, that 42 and a half, the Noctocron. I thought this is the sharpest lens I've ever had. This one may be a little bit sharper and it's hard to tell because it's wider, you know? So yeah. it's probably naturally going to be a little bit sharper, yeah. get more in focus. Anyways. Well, actually though, I found that to be the opposite case. Like a lot of times mm. I found the wider focal lengths are actually not as sharp. Mm. And like, even when you like the next time you go watch a movie, when it goes to a really wide shot, I mean, you'll see it's just not as sharp and that has to do with the camera too because sure. it just can't resolve as much you know with such a wide image sure but i mean like if you can get a wide lens that is like razor sharp and then you've got a camera like the gh5 which of course you know i'm a fan sure uh that can resolve that detail so well yeah. i mean you can get some i cannot wait to see the wide shots you get with that i bet it's gonna well, be awesome. the thing is too like i i'm shocked at the shallow depth of field that you can get from yeah. that lens because normally a wider lens like that you're not going to get anything but if you get right. decently close to your subject for some b-roll shots or whatever man 
the the bokeh in the background is just gorgeous. I mean, you know, I was just I was hanging out with Bobby last week, and yeah. uh, we went and got this uh, some burgers beforehand, and I busted it out. I was that guy who busted out his his camera <laughs> to take a picture of this camera, burger. Yeah. But the burger was was forty percent made of bacon. I mean, I, I, I had to take a picture oh, of it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, <laughs> yeah. When I took the picture afterwards, I was like, holy crap, look at that bokeh. <laughs> so anyways. Well, it's an F1.4, right? Yeah, but but normally even still for a, a lens that wide, you know, a 12 millimeter lens. But yeah, it's it was yeah, gorgeous. No, I found like my, uh, my Rokinon 16 millimeter, which is an F2.0 or 2.2. I don't remember exactly. But I found that it's actually the same. Like, it's really good. I, of course, I have it on a speed booster, which gives it, you know, a little bit sure. more light or whatever. But, yeah, I found that if you go close, especially, like, with detail shots, it is really cool because you can get that wideness and then you can still get that that uh, depth of field, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, now, for a lot of shots, like the gimbal shots, I don't do that with because I don't have autofocus, which that does that lens have autofocus? The, yeah, it um, does. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you could do some pretty cool stuff with that. Yeah, I still like tap to focus. I haven't played a ton with the autofocus. Still, I, I just have been always used to using manual focus. Yeah, me too. Um, so you know, but on a wider lens, you know, once you get to a certain distance from your subject, you don't really have to mess with the focus because anyway. it's going to be yeah. infinite. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. But I mean, like if you're following a couple on a gimbal or something, like if you had that on your gimbal, I mean that would be pretty cool to be able to kind of go close to them, even if you're just a couple feet away and yeah. have some nice shallow depth of field. I mean, it, supposedly the autofocus, especially like in the daylight on the GH5, is pretty good. I mean, I've heard mixed things on that, of course. Sure, like, yeah. You know, you have probably too. But um, I've tried it a little bit on the GH5. I had a um, the 12 millimeter um, Olympus. Yeah lens i've got that one if anybody decent. wants to buy it i'm selling this <laughs> lens so i have it right here go. so if you want to buy jordan bunch from the wedding film academies olympus yeah. f.2.0 vintage yeah it's a pretty it's actually um, a pretty cool lens really yeah it is no it is and it's not bad it's just that i didn't the reason i bought it was for the autofocus and the autofocus just wasn't fast on it. Yeah. Like I think that the Panasonic lenses, because they're kind of integrated and they're made by the same company, sure. will be much faster in terms of the autofocus. Um, but yeah, I just wasn't happy with it in terms of that. And I was like, well, why am I using this that has different, again, different color than all my Rokinons? And you know, then I have to go color correct it and change it up and all that kind of stuff. And it's really expensive, you know. For me, it's really expensive because my, you know, 12 mil Rokinon is $300 versus $500 or something for that one or 600 I think or I paid. I think I paid 800 originally for it. Yeah, I bought mine used. So. Yeah. Well, somebody's <laughs> going to get a deal on this. Although it does yeah, have a little so. bit of a ding on it. So if you're going to buy it, beware. But it doesn't affect the image quality. It doesn't quality. affect the image quality. That's the key. So still good. That's the key right there. All right. Well, man, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, we should chat more often, not even on the air. Yeah, so, definitely. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, Brandon, you're also doing, I saw earlier today, you posted you're doing some mentoring and stuff like that. If our yeah. listeners want to find out more about that, uh, where should we send them? Well, go to my website, brandonricefilms.com, and just hit me up on there. I think my email address is on there and my phone number. So if you're interested in that stuff, go ahead on there. There's not like a page that has 
that on it on the homepage, but I can send you that information if you're interested in it. I'm doing kind of like Skype stuff because a lot of people are interested in the post-production process or even the production process, and you can walk through a lot of that. I also like locally can do like some more hands-on stuff, like even setting up like a individual like style shoot um, where we can go like find some models or whatever and go kind of like shoot stuff, go to, you know, the cool pl- thing about being in Nashville is like there's all this amazing outdoors that you can just go shoot in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and pretty much any time of year. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of doing that. I, I really love to be a part of like the online community for filmmaking and, and especially wedding filmmaking. Um, but I found like more and more of my time has gotten like away from me. So I want to try to make it like a little bit more formal in terms of, okay, we're going to, you know, chat for a couple hours here and there, you know? And I feel like that's more focused on the people that really want to learn too. Cause like, instead of answering a bazillion Facebook messages, which you know how it is, sure. like, you know, people messaging you all the time and it's hard to get to everybody, you know, and I feel bad about it sometimes. So I'm going to try to do this and see how it goes. Um, and you know, we'll go from there. So awesome. there you go. Cool. Yeah. Well, definitely. If you want to learn more about editing and shooting, uh, Brandon's a great resource. He makes some really beautiful wedding films. So definitely would encourage you to do that. Uh, also, uh, we're, as we're trying to, to grow the show, I would love it if you guys would take a minute and go, if, if you're getting great value out of this, which I get messages, I get emails and Facebook messages all the time from people who are just getting so much value from the show. If you feel that way, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. It really just helps boost those ratings and helps get us, get us out there in front of more people. And, I just want to be helpful to people. You know, that's why I'm doing this. Somebody joked the other day when I posted about, I was buying all this gear. They're like, Oh, you're buying it with wedding film Academy money, huh? And I was like, no, (laughs) this is a, this is a a negative. This is a negative dollar. Uh, This is a labor of love. This is, you know, I felt like I got so much from the community when I was starting out from various people who had been really helpful to me and just wanted to give back to you. So that's why we do all this stuff and giving away this content for free. So, you know, do me a favor and go ahead and leave a review on iTunes. Also, we are very close uh, in the next couple of weeks to be launching a, I say in the next couple of weeks, probably more like in the next month, uh, to launching our YouTube channel. We do have a YouTube channel that you can go ahead and subscribe to. But we're in process. I posted last week about this. We're in process of renovating our new office that we moved into. And I've dedicated a room to Wedding Film Academy. And so in the near future, hopefully we'll be um, creating more YouTube content as well. So be sure to hop on over to YouTube and subscribe to us there. Where in the next coming month or so, you'll start seeing some more content. But I've got to go to Mexico and vacation first and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that's really important. Much more important than creating YouTube content for you bums. So uh, again, thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. And help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And when you're done, head on over to WeddingFilmAcademy.org to chat with our other wedding filmmakers like yourself in the comments section. Until next time, keep making movie magic.